Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of our Junior VC Behind the Scenes. We're here to talk about DMAT. They recently announced uh, they had a great quarter. There was a 25% year-over-year increase from last year. They're on track to do 40,000 crores in revenue, and it makes their founder, I believe, the third richest man in India. So, Aviral, let's jump into the story. First of all, can you tell our listeners why we chose to talk about DMAT this week? I think it's an interesting uh, story because of so much conversation around IPOs. When we talk about IPOs, uh, the DMART IPO specifically, you'll realize why we uh, picked it in the IPO context. But I think for a while we've been wanting to deep dive into a retail player in India. Um, you know, sometimes we go beyond the startup um, mandate and look at these companies when they started up. And again, like um, like with most AJVC pieces, we we didn't find a comprehensive place where everything about DMART was talked from the beginning till today. Uh, so we thought we'll give it a shot. Awesome. So let's jump into the story, starting off with the founder's origin stories. I believe he was actually a stock stock market investor back in the nineties. Correct. 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 So. Um, very interesting b- background. So, uh, Mr. Damani, who is the founder of DMART, he um, was born in Bikaner, uh, s- more famous for uh, its namkeen um, and Haldirams and <laughs> Bikaji. Haldirams, obviously, we've written about. Um, but his, his, his father was a s- stockbroker, very m- middle-class family. Um, Mr. Damani started as... Um, ball and bearings trader, uh, but with his father's untimely demise, he had to switch to a more lucrative business because his ball and bearings business was clearly not working. So he joined stockbroking with his brother. And now many of us would have seen the TV series Scam 92. Um, <laughs> there are enough reports that say that Damani was played by one of um, the four actors around, um, which was a short selling bear cartel led by Cobra. Um, so the money, um, he grew in the trading slash investing business. Initially he was just a trader, uh, and he found himself going up against, um, Harshad Mehta, who was a, a very big, the big bull, uh, of that era. Um, there was Rakesh Junjunwala um, and Damani, who both um, worked on the opposite side, where they were short selling, um, and Harshad Mehta was going long. Um, and I think for many years their battles continued. Apollo Tires was a big one, um, which Damani lost uh, to Harshad Mehta, um, and nobody really understood where Harshad Mehta's funds were coming from. Uh, eventually it was uh, revealed that there was a large scam uh, with a big loophole in the banking system being exploited in 92 and eventually um, the money and co they won their short selling battle uh, there's a story where the money talks about how he was just a week away from bankruptcy because when you go short um, you need to eventually cover your positions in case uh, the stock price doesn't fall as expected. And if uh, Harshad Mehta wouldn't have been caught out, um, the money was a week away from bankruptcy. 
I think that was transformational for him. I think the first transformation um, in his journey. Um, he decided to start investing rather than trading, which is going long. Um, and we all know Warren Buffett. Um, so he's a big uh, believer um, in the Warren Buffett story. Um, apparently, he was one of the largest shareholders in HDFC in 95. Um, and somebody asked him why he's continuing to buy such an expensive stock. He said that uh, you can't live on Pedder Road paying the rates of Dharavi. Um, I think it's quite, quite interesting how he, how he went like all in on HDFC. Uh, so for the, from the nine, for the nineties, um, he was a long only investor, uh, more classical style. Same time, I think as Junjunwala also went from short selling to, uh, eventually becoming the big bull. Um, there was another, um, you know, arch nemesis now, um, in the stock market, which was Ketan Parikh who came against uh, Damani again. Um, so from Harshad Mehta to Ketan Parekh, there was an interesting Gujarati versus Marwadi uh, dynamic that was playing out and it was very strong in the 80s. Um, so I think, um, you know, Damani tried um, his hand at retail uh, with a failed venture called Apna Mart. Um, he acquired a very old business and tried to run it like a socialist company eventually it didn't work out and uh, you know in 1999 when technology went up it seemed like Ketan Parikh was doing really well uh, he bought a lot of software stocks and Damani obviously understood the more classical uh, parts of uh, the stock market so he was good at cement commodities industrial and other kind of things um, so I think a combination of wanting to build in retail and not seeing as much success as he did uh, although he was very wealthy and quite successful by then, uh, he decided to call it quits from the stock market and go deeper into uh, building retail. So it's uh, like his first chapter itself is a TV series, which is quite interesting. Uh, but you know, his his latest chapter is is even even more interesting. So that's how I think uh, the story of uh, his retail journey began. He started a company called Avenue, uh, which is actually the name. Uh, listed name for the company that owns DMART, but DMART was not what he started with. So uh, he started by saying that I'll do something in retail and he just called it Avenue and then waited it out, uh, trying to explore the market. So let's maybe j jump into that. And thanks a lot for that five minute overview of, like you said, what could have, have been a full TV show about the stock bro stockbroking in India and in the nineties. Um, but let's dive into the problem that DMAD is solving. So what was the opportunity that, that Damani saw uh, at, at that point in time? So uh, there's a lot of similarity with this large conglomerate that now owns a large e-commerce company in India called Walmart. Uh, in fact, Walmart is called Walton Mart after Sam Walton and the Walton family. Um, DMART is Damani Mart. So there's... Uh, common genesis as well uh, for this new business that uh, the money was starting. Uh, I think his idea was to essentially create organized retail for the Indian middle class. And this is not, you know, most rich Indians call themselves middle class, which is kind of funny. Uh, the top 1% of people uh, who earn 
uh, quite a bit say that I'm an Indian middle class person, which is weird because the middle class is not them. Um, so he he's actually uh, thinking that let me do something for the Indian middle class. Let me do something for uh, for the mass consumer. So very low cost uh, operations, um, very um, attractive prices, very limited SKUs and inventory, um, and very limited you know diversity in terms of like just brands. Um, so he he thinks of like creating a Walmart style uh, business in India. He starts with Pawai in 2002 uh, and he calls it Dmart. Like I said, the origin for Dmart is his name. Um, and Pawai then was not upmarket Bombay, right? Today, obviously, there's Hiranandani and Hiranandani is another story where they built out this amazing apartment complex in basically wilderness. Um, 20 years ago and now you know I think the real estate of that area is probably one of the most expensive in Bombay but then Pawai was not really uh, upmarket it was a suburb um, I still think because Dmart has never closed the same Dmart store in Pawai in Hiranani runs today as well um, I remember visiting it when I was in college too so I, I know where it is specifically um, and the interesting thing was he took three years to start the first store from when he started Avenue Supermarts. Um, it was very thoughtful and he took another five to seven years to start another 10 stores. So it wasn't really hyperscale from the beginning. He was trying to figure out a model that works and he was trying to figure out uh, something that would eventually make sense economically. And so from those humble beginnings, let's talk a bit about the size of the market at that time, you know, in the mid 2000s. Um, can, you, can you tell our listeners how, how big was the market and what was the potential for growth? So uh, India's retail market today is close to a trillion, but then it was half 400 to 500 billion. Um, organized retail was a minuscule percent. It still is a minuscule, but it's a bigger minuscule percent today. Um, so the market that DMART was going after was literally like 10 to 20 billion dollars. Um, and there were already existing players of multiple types. Um, a lot of big players had started to explore India, obviously Walmart with Bharti Airtel in 2006, um, Carefor and others also said that they would start. Um, mm -hmm. Reliance was starting to make big inroads, uh, and there were these, really you know, up. two young, correct, correct. Competition was heating up, and then there was these new companies, Future and Spencer. Uh, Future Retail would eventually become huge, um, but then we know the story of what happened after that. Um, so there were these big players that were coming up. Malls were uh, sprouting all across India. Um, and this new movement that had begun, India went from, I think, a GDP of close to 270 billion to 820 billion from 92 to 2005. So it was 3x in you know, 13, 14 years. And retail also followed. So the market uh, overall had expanded. Uh, it was largely served by disorganized retail, which is the Kirana stores that we all know. They still exist. And the reason they exist is because Last Mile is so effective with them. But organized retail was really, really small. 
so for a large player to come and build uh, it was already quite challenging and i think the economics didn't make sense which is why uh, many people uh, didn't decide to do it and let's let's zoom in to the unit economics for dmart and what their solution was how were they able to find their niche yeah so um, i think they have been profitable every year since they were founded uh, they've had a razor sharp focus on ensuring profit margins are there regardless of how low they may be in fact i think for the last 3-4 uh, years they've been around 4-5% but they've not really uh, gone down they've remained where they are um, and their focus on a bunch of things has allowed them to keep costs in check for example they treat their vendors really well they buy wholesale they pay fast so they don't really have inventory issues they don't really have payment issues they're able to pass all of these savings to their customers um, and then you have this really interesting flywheel that's turning uh, with uh, customers coming for the low price vendors getting attracted because there's a lot of volume and payment terms are are amazing i think they pay within like 7 days versus the market which we study 45 um so customers love it vendors love it and you know there's always a network effect and a flywheel that's turning so more customers attracting more customers more vendors attracting more vendors a classic marketplace model but this is physical um so by ensuring wholesale buying and by keeping um prices in control in check uh, keeping inventory uh, as low as possible uh they were able to manage costs the other interesting thing that they've done uh which is kind of unique is their advertising and promotional expenses are basically zero um i don't think anybody remembers seeing a dmart ad but everybody knows about dmart so there's obviously something that they're doing um i kind of joke that dmart opening in a neighborhood is an event and like i've heard people saying oh there's a dmart now um i think one thing they did really interestingly was they retained their customers with their service um and the word of mouth and quality is what attracted everybody uh, so they didn't really need to spend on advertising so you you are spending less on on cogs uh, you are keeping prices under control you have zero advertising as a line item and then they never really hired people who had pedigree and uh, could be expensive they hired people super young fresh trained them um and i think that kept keeps employee expenses low so the overall cost structure of the company um even though you know that their gross margins are not very high they would keep advertising at close to zero employee expenses at 2 to 3% um and eventually your profit margin would work out to be 4 to 5% um so i think they've they've created a very interesting model where they've kept everything as uh, required and not really gone crazy even if you go to any of their stores you'll see that they're very minimal there's not too much uh, jazz um and that keeps the cost of running these operations they usually take like some run down uh, warehouse or go down and they repurpose it to become a store um which is again fascinating from a model perspective so um so yeah i mean I, i think it was it was very interesting i think in mid 2014 2015 they had um close to 70 stores um 
and they were doing close to 5000 crores of revenue uh, which was like 70 crores per store um, and um, the compare you know competitors were doing 5 to 7 crores per store so it was it was pretty crazy how they were able to drive efficiency scale uh, as well as economics through that no it's it's amazing i mean they started small low scale um, they kind of perfected the model and once they got it right they could really grow um, you know around 2015ish uh, after almost yeah. 10 years of really iterating on the model and finding the right fit can you right. tell us a bit about that growth phase right um, and and how they kind of scaled so i think by around 2014 15 they had got a sense that the model was working uh, there was obviously future retail which was a big competitor um, interestingly future took on a lot of debt uh, to service their expansion and going into different lines uh, spencer retail uh, owned by rpg they were also competitor um, i think dmart understood their you know it's it's not really a small segment it's a big segment that they're going after and they started replicating this in more areas interestingly if you look at the store expansion strategy they would go after um higher income states although they were middle class so wherever there was a propensity to pay they would look at those states so even today um they are in states where um incomes are on average higher um, and they were very strong in the West to begin with, like right? Maharashtra and Gujarat were their, uh, were their big, big areas. Um, so they started scaling, adding stores, um, you know, from 70 to 150 to 200. And uh, they went public. Um, and, you know, I was talking about the IPO in the beginning. Uh, they listed at um, 300 and the IPO doubled, the price doubled next day and the IPO was 1000x subscribed. Um, the company is not seen the IPO price ever again, right? So it's an incredible story of value creation. It's a lesson for um, many founders on uh, how to take a company public and price it uh, well. I think um, the IPO was uh, Mr. Damani going back to his old love after 20 years and going to the stock market and raising money. And I think they needed it because they needed to scale. But uh, even since they've gone public, they've not um, not really lost sight of what they stand for and what they want to do. So I, I think it's a very interesting journey uh, since then. It really has been fascinating how he's come full circle and ended up as a public company that he built. But uh, just, you know, after that phase, I think once they went public and you got that capital, competition really heated up. I mean, it was big companies like Big Bazaar, Hypercity, Mega Mart, Spencer's as well. And you've spoken about how they, you know, made a conscious decision to not spend money on advertising. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how did they fight competition without spending the money on, on ads? So they remained razor focused on their segment, which was very cost conscious and um, not really solving for convenience, which could be the other categories. Um, I think Future with its expansion took on a lot of debt. Um, and by the time 2020 came, it was a moment of reckoning for the industry, right? DMART, which had been clean operations, never had bloat, was profitable, making money. Um, and future retail, which had taken on a lot of uh, debt, 
was losing money obviously uh, due to its expansion strategies um the pandemic happened and as you know retails you know bloodline lifeline is footfall people stopped coming to these stores and future which was anyway starting to show signs of trouble it just collapsed right it's its stock price went down by 80% in 4 months reliance was supposed to acquire it amazon decided to you know come into the mix and say hey you know we had right of first refusal to buy this business and uh, eventually future was like this dead animal which was being picked off by reliance i think today reliance has essentially just not paid anything and uh, kind of acquired all the stores of future so future was like dead future was killed by the pandemic uh, spencer uh, is still alive it's not like gone away but like dmart has not seen its ipo price spencer has also not seen its ipo price just that it's 80% down from its ipo price uh, not up like uh, dmart um and um and you know dmart was in real stress because they they obviously didn't have footfall and they didn't have an online presence but i think this is where um you know i always say bad luck exposes incompetence uh so the incompetent players were out and it it just left dmart and obviously reliance amazon flipkart did super well because of e-commerce uh, dmart added dmart ready and um, online uh, services but they that's obviously not their core they've still managed to take that and make economic sense out of it i think their losses have reduced um but post the pandemic and things opening up dmart has come out even stronger i think now people are going physically to stores they obviously don't have too much competition uh, now from the players that existed but um, there's reliance retail which has become huge uh, amazon flipkart obviously are big um, so the the players have changed but uh, the original players that uh dmart had to contend with they aren't there anymore so um i think there was a moment of reckoning in 2020 and dmart has proved that it's been resilient i think it's um i think stock price today is 3500 if i'm not wrong it's uh, you know 10x its ipo price um it's it's fascinating how they've executed they've remained uh, really lean and um even today when they are at such scale uh, they are at 10 to 12000 crores of quarterly revenue which would be around 40 50000 of annual revenue um they're still not at thousands of stores they're just at 300 so uh they've still stayed true to uh, their roots and uh, what they had initially started out with it's it's an incredible story uh, and and to wrap it up what is the future of dmart hold after two decades of completely different competitive landscape going through demonetization and then covid uh what, what what's next for them i think um, you know the interesting part is they've grown by 25% but their stock price fell uh, when they announced the results a few days back because people had more expectations from them which is quite interesting and and you know that will lay the foundation for the future the company has now a very different set of challenges it's not a young uh, startup in some sense it's become uh, quite large and when you're large growing is harder so the ability to grow is is difficult um i think they're going to have to contend with 
large player problems which is when you are a large player what do you do um one of the challenges that they have faced obviously is that they have been focused on a particular set of geographies so being able to diversify to other markets for example they are not there in up uh, today uh, how do they diversify geographically um they'll have to think of a few more revenue lines um they could potentially look at aldi and costco um in the us which have done interesting things uh, for the same category so subscriptions or private label um those are things that they'll have to explore uh, but i think for the for the company they'll have to go deeper and wider in india um which till date they have not gone as deep and wide um i think that's going to be their next leg and next challenge and how they will execute but till date they've remained very true to their ethos um i am curious to see how this will play out if they take the same playbook and replicate it in other markets which are not the same as their originally already existing markets thank you aviral uh, for that amazing o- overview of dmats incredible story uh, it's it's been quite the journey and thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to this week's episode of a junior vc behind the scenes we'll see you again next week with a fresh episode of founders unfiltered <laughs>